So I want to do a one-week uh, message, and maybe this will develop into something else, but next week is our first Wednesday where we'll have worship and prayer here, and I just had in my heart um, this coming Wednesday that we just spend some time just blessing the Lord, and um, a week ago tomorrow, baby, a week, yeah, we could go tomorrow. Baby Gideon came home, and um, let's just celebrate God's faithfulness. So next week, we're just going to dedicate it just to ministering to the Lord and being grateful for all that he's, that he's done for us. But this week, I want to talk about the power of the gospel. So if you've got your Bible, let's go to Romans. So Romans is in the New Testament. So like after you do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and the letter to the Romans... And if you didn't bring your Bible, no big deal. It's going to be printed on your fill-in-the-blanks. And we're going to go to chapter 1, Romans 1. So once again, bring your Bibles on Wednesday. And I'm going to take the time for us to turn to these scriptures. And you can use our highlighters. We put highlighters out and pens out so you can mark in your Bible what the Lord is speaking to you. But in chapter 1, verse 16, now let's go ahead and read this. It says, for I am not ashamed. Go ahead and circle if you've got your Bible or you're on your notes. For I'm not ashamed. Circle that word shamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ. So let's stop real quick and go through that because there's a lot to be said in that first line. So I'm not ashamed. That means that the apostle Paul who wrote this to the Romans, that means that there was, there's an opportunity for us to be ashamed of this powerful gospel. And I'm just putting that out there because he declares I'm not ashamed of it. And anytime we see the word gospel in scripture, it can be translated good news. Have you ever been um, like somebody that you hadn't seen in a while was on their way to come see you or whatever and you anticipated and when you find out so-and-so is coming to town, that, that was good news. Or maybe when you were little, did you ever get excited about your grandparents coming to town or seeing them? That was good news. So, or Santa Claus. Oh, man. How many weeks are we out, Shelly? About 3,700 weeks out from, but, but we're excited about <laughs> Christmas coming. So I'm not ashamed of the good news and then the gospel, the good gospel, the good news. And then look at the next word of Christ. From our last series, let's translate Christ. So in your Bible, on your notes, let's translate it. What does Christ mean? It means the anointed one and his anointing. That does what? Removes the burden and destroys the yoke. So we can say the gospel of the anointed one. Do you see how, how powerful the word of God is when we study it and dig this out? For it is God's power. Now that makes sense that it's the gospel of Christ, for it's God's power working unto salvation for the deliverance from eternal death, and I'm in the Amplified, the classic, to everyone who believes with a personal trust and a confident surrender. That's very important. Let's circle surrender, and I'm gonna to get to that in a second. A confident surrender and a firm reliance. You can number those. I like to number in my Bible sometimes. What, is it, what does it cause for us? A, a, a surrender, number one, a confident surrender, and number two, a firm reliance um, to the Jews first and then also to the Greek. There's some significance there, but we won't get into that tonight. Verse 17, the next one, for the gospel, can we translate gospel? Good news. So in your Bible or on your notes, just to the side of gospel, put a little arrow, good news of righteousness. Can we, can we translate righteousness? 
right standing with God. So if we put that in the gospel, the good news of our righteousness, our right standing with God, um, which God ascribed is revealed both springing from faith and leading to faith. Now, I haven't done a series on faith, but anytime you can see, you see the word faith, you can translate that as trust. So it's springing from trust to trust. Is God trustworthy? Amen. So leading from faith to faith, disclosing through the way of faith that arouses to more faith, as it is written. And we did a series. I don't can't remember how long ago we did our faith series. Well, this was one of our faith declarations that the man who through faith is just and upright shall live by, shall live and shall live by faith. Your first feeling, the gospel in and of itself has tremendous, tremendous transformative power. I'm a little bit relieved with the thought that the gospel doesn't need me. <laughs> now that I can be used by the gospel and I hope that we all are, but the gospel does not need us. That in and of itself, it is tremendous power. And I'm gonna try to stay positive tonight. So if I, Michelle, get some like pens back there and if I get negative, just throw them at me. The next, <laughs> the gospel springs forth trust in our hearts to the Father. Now let me, before I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the gospel, the good news that Jesus the Christ provided for us springs forth from us trust and confidence in Him. I don't know, and the, kind of the Lord's just been ministering to this me recently about this is that, is that our hearts responded to Him. Our hearts found trust and hope in him because we responded to the call that he drew our hearts with. And I know that's kind of a little bit weird, but I'm going somewhere with it. Let's go to Luke. So we're in Romans, so we're gonna to go to the left. So Luke is one of the gospels. If you're at Acts, keep on going. If you're at John, keep on going to the left. And then we're going to go to Luke chapter four. Now this is gonna be Jesus talking Luke chapter four and verse 18. Now Jesus is in, with this chapter, he is in the temple and what they would do is they would read from, they didn't have like us where we had like personal copies, they had scrolls in there. And you would go in there and, and the priests and so forth would read from these scrolls and I suspect that they were somewhat um, available because Jesus went up to this scroll and he took the scroll of Isaiah and he finds this scripture in Isaiah. Of course, it's repeated now in Luke in reference to him, but watch what Jesus finds. He finds that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Can we full stop? What does the anointing do? The anointing removes the burden and destroys the yoke. So Jesus finds in Isaiah where it's, what do you call it? He finds himself. He finds himself pre, uh, prophesied from Isaiah that he is the anointed one. Um, and by the way, that also um, justifies when we, the Amplified says that the anointed one, we can translate that Christ, the Messiah, to preach the good news the gospel. So what's Jesus found in Isaiah? He's found that he has come to preach good news. And this is what I was gonna say that I forgot a second ago. The good news is that God 
is there's no separation between us and God. Before Jesus came as a sacrifice, there was separation between humanity and God. Now, would you agree that God is holy? He is holy. And we are sinful. And so sin separated us. So Jesus says that his sacrifice is going to get rid of that separation. The good news is that gap between us is gone. Specifically, when Jesus was crucified, there was a curtain in the Holy of Holies in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies where the presence of the Lord was from everyone else. And the Bible says that it was torn from top to bottom, separating out or making that area of the Holy Holies now accessible by us to us by the blood of the Lamb. I'm getting I, I, uh, back on track here. He has sent me. Now, remember, Jesus has found himself. He has sent me to announce release to the captives. Doesn't that make sense that he's the anointed one? And his anointing that removes the burden and destroys the yoke and recovery of sight to the blind. We know two things. One, that that is physical blindness, but that's also spiritual blindness. So he's, Jesus said, I've come to make those that are physically blind see. And he proved that. I've come to make those that are spiritually blind to see. That's good news. Uh, continue in verse 18 to send forth as delivered, circle delivered, circle delivered, for those who are oppressed. What does Jesus, and this isn't a trick question, what does Jesus do to those that are oppressed? He delivers them. Um, those who are downtrodden, bruised, crushed, and broken down by calamity. Verse 19, to proclaim the accepted and the acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the free favor of God profusely abound. Let me back up just two seconds here. Did sin separate us from God? Yes. When Jesus came and, and, and shed his blood and, and atoned for our sin, was that separation gone? Yes, and Jesus is saying right here from Isaiah, the good news is that you are now not separated from God. You are now not objects of his wrath. You are now in, in a, what's called a year of accepted and ex, you are accepted and acceptable by God. Now, wait a minute. I'm not perfect. Anybody in here perfect? no. None of us are perfect. We've all, we've all made mistakes. Maybe we've made big mistakes. Who, who knows? But because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the anointed one and his anointing that removes the burden and destroys the yoke, we have been accepted by God. We have been, who are far off, we've been brought near. This is good news. Your next feeling that Jesus found his identity and his purpose in the book of Isaiah. So we just came out of a series on identity, who we are. Jesus himself as a man. He didn't, you know, wasn't born to Mary and popped out and said, I'm the son of God. <laughs> he had to find out who he was. And through the training of the word of God from his godly parents, he eventually came across 
this scripture in Isaiah and I'm sure many others and he's, he, he's reading the book of Isaiah and, and, and you've been reading something and you just like go, oh my goodness, <laughs> something happens, a plot in a book. That's what happened. Jesus sees himself in Isaiah and he goes, this is me. This, and when he found this opportunity, went to the temple, unscrolled Isaiah and said, I'm now telling you, and I don't, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but he tells them, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they're like, you? He's like, me, it's me. I'm the anointed one. I'm the one that has come with the good news from my father that you now live in his acceptance. Jesus' ministry was completely marked by the transformational power, this power that Isaiah is talking about. His entire ministry is wrapped up in this power of Isaiah where he said, I have come as the anointed one. I have come as the sacrifice. I have come to bring you near to the Father to show that you are now accepted and favorable in his sight. So with full stop right there, is that good news or is that good news? It's the gospel. And I have a concern that the church of America and maybe parts of the world is getting away from, she's, don't get those pencils out. I'm gonna keep it real nice. Is getting away from the power of the gospel. Now I will say this, that Robert Morris, who is a pastor in South Lake, Texas, had, um, he, they have a university there called the King's University. And he is the president of that college. It used to be Jack Hayford's, if you know who he is. But anyway, the students there did a study. And they went and they studied the uh, sermons of different preachers just at random or, or specifically. I can't remember which what it was. And they counted how many times they used scripture in their messages. And the average was about two to five scriptures a message. Maybe. Now imagine speaking for 30, 45, an hour. I don't know how long that they average speak, but imagine speaking for that long and, the, and your minimal use of the word of God. My question is, what else are you saying? <laughs> What else is there to say? But the point is that we've regressed. We've backed up from the power of the word of God that reveals to people the gospel, which is good news. And that gospel that removes burdens and destroys yokes and frees people. The tremendous power of the gospel that comes through the word of God. Let's keep going. So Jesus sat with sinners, calling them to repentance. Now, I want to I show you something. And the Lord revealed something to my heart. Um, and he actually gave me scripture on this. But I want to I show you something real quick. So let's go to Mark. So Mark is, we're in Luke. So you're going to go to the left. Just one book. So Mark chapter 2. And Mark is very short. So don't flip too many, too many pages there. So Mark 2. And we're going to go to verse 13. Mark 2, 13. And this is, is Jesus um, 
descriptive of Jesus's ministry. So let's see what happens. So in Mark 2, 13, it says, Jesus went out again along the seashore and all the multitude kept gathering around him and he was teaching them. So I want you, before we go to the next one, I want you to mark two things on your sheet or in your Bible. What were the people doing? They were following him. And what was he doing? He was teaching them. So let's keep that in mind, that this crowd wasn't following him because he had um, you know, a Chick-fil-A food truck with them. <laughs> they weren't following him because he was uh, incredibly hilarious, even though he probably was funny. They were following him and he was teaching them. Let's keep going. Verse 14. And he was passing by and saw Levi, Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting, on, uh, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me, be joined to me as a disciple. A full stop right there. What did he tell Levi, also Matthew, to do? Follow me as a disciple. So do you think that part of his teaching was follow me as a disciple and side with, me, with my party? And he rose and joined him as his disciple and sided with his party and, and accompanied him. Verse 15, and Jesus, together with his disciples, sat at the table in Levi's house. Many tax collectors and persons uh, definitely stained with sin. And I think this is kind of funny um, that this is the reference in, in this book because it says there's these people that are there with Jesus that are definitely stained with sin. And my question is, who is not definitely stained with sin? Everyone is definitely stained with sin. But the, here's the point. Uh, with sin, were dining with him. For there were many who walked the same road, followed Jesus, followed with him. What were these people that were tax collectors? And I'm not quite sure the full connotation there. But what were the people that were definitely stained with sin? What were they doing? Following him. And I'm not trying to, you know, be evasive, but what was he doing as they were following him? He was teaching them. What was he teaching them? How to follow him and to be a disciple. Watch what happens. And the scribes belonging to the party of the Pharisees were uh, there when they saw that he was eating with those definitely known to be especially wicked sinners and tax collectors. I think I agree with him on the tax collectors. <laughs> said to the disciples, why does Jesus eat and drink with tax collectors and notorious sinners? And Jesus hears them. So let's look what he says. And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are strong and well have no need of a physician, a doctor. But those who are weak and sick. Now, let's tie this together before we read any further. These especially wicked sinners, <laughs> which everybody's a sinner. <laughs> sinners were following Jesus. He was teaching them. And when they asked him, why are you sitting with sinners? He's saying those that are well don't need a doctor. So would you agree? Now he's referring to the people following him. Watch what he says. Uh, but those who are weak and sick need a doctor 
And I came not to call the righteous ones to repentance, which is kind of just a, oh, geez, a little sassy right there. I did not call the righteous to repentance because who is righteous? Go on. <laughs> I didn't call the righteous to repentance, but sinners that the erring ones and of those not free from sin. Now, before we go any further, I want to put all this together. Jesus sat with sinners and ate with sinners, but he did not sit with sinners to validate their sin. Now, let me say it full circle. He does not sit with me to validate my sin. <laughs> no. But what does he do? Calls us to repentance. Now, have you ever had you did something wrong or um, made a wrong decision or, uh, you know, did something that you knew was against the Lord? And all of a sudden you had this feeling in your spirit that I, I shouldn't have done that. I, I need to make that right. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to I'm not going to let that in my life. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in you with the gospel. Because the gospel, the good news, always calls us to repentance. And let me make this plain. Put the pencils down, Michelle. If it if it's doesn't call us to repentance, it's not the gospel. So here, here's my point, is that we think that the gospel must be watered down to be effective. It must be changed. It must be re-explained. It must be, let me, two things. Have you ever heard of this song, um, I wrote, let's see, this song, uh, um, Back to Life from Bethel. And a, a lady named uh, uh, Zariah Zachary sings it. So you brought me back to life. Well, there's this phrase in the song that the enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said you are mine. You heard that. The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said you're mine. And it's interesting that that little clip is many times on TikTok with people who, that when they, it says the enemy thought he had me, and it's like pictures or videos of them, and I'm just going to take an instance like strung out on drugs. But Jesus said, you are mine. And then it goes to a video or a picture of them being baptized. The enemy thought he had me, and it's a, it's a video or a picture of them drinking excessively. But Jesus said, and they're worshiping the Lord. But Jesus said, you are mine. That's the power of the gospel. That's it right there. And what I, what I love about that is when I see those videos on TikTok, it bears witness with something in my spirit that a change has happened, that a transformation has happened, that something that was dead is now alive, that something that was broken is now redeemed, that something that was hurt is now healed. And unfortunately, there's a trend in the belief that in Christianity where you're hurt and you're broken and you're undone and you need to just stay broken and hurt and undone because we haven't called people to repentance or discipleship. 
learning and trusting the word of God. So my, my point is this, is that this gospel in and of itself has tremendous power. But for some weird reason, we have this idea or this concept that we have to adjust it to make it more palatable to people. Let me, th- let me tell you what I think happened. Because it said, and people will use that, well, Jesus ate and sat with sinners. Well, there's a difference between eating and sitting with sinners and telling them you don't have to change anything in your life. You can just simply stay as you are. And that's wretched. Because, and I use this, and this is what I think. I think when Jesus sat with sinners and ate with sinners, I think his conversation with them, and maybe when we're in eternity, we can have this played back. I think that his conversation with them was that he went straight to their heart on where they were hurt, where they failed, where they were undone, where they were disappointed, where they had made mistakes. I think that he went straight to their heart. And I kind of like, Lord, I think that's true. And he just spoke to my heart. He said, what did he do with the woman at the well? He went straight to her situation. And this is what I think happened. I think that Jesus sitting with sinners, sitting with tax collectors, I think that he just pulled up a chair and got real close to them. And with a smile on his face and holding their hand, he went to their deepest wound. Because sin is always, is always derived from fear and hurt. And I think he went to their deepest wound. And if you remember... If you remember when when he caught the woman, when the woman caught in adultery, what did he tell her? He said, I don't accuse you either. Go, Go and sin no more. And I believe he got right down on their level and got right close to them. And with compassion in his in his voice and love in his eyes, he spoke to the deepest part of their hurt and called them to repentance. Now you think about it for us. Did you ever have a time in your life when you accepted Jesus into your heart and you realized how sinful you were? You realized your own rebellion. You realized your own shame. You realized your own failure. And what in and even though Jesus wasn't in, in form right in front of us, what did the Spirit of God do? The Spirit of God drew us. And what did the Spirit of God do? He said, I want you to be free from that. I want you to be healed from that. I don't want you to live in that. And let me say this before we go any further, that when when we tell people that you can stay in, in willful sin, willful rebellion, and still live in the freedom of the gospel, we have done them a great disservice, a great disservice. Because the power of the gospel, let me remind you, it does not need me. If the gospel is simply preached, it will do its own work. And when we preach the gospel, I believe in the spiritual realm, Jesus draws those people close to him 
It says, I know where you were hurt. I know when it happened. I know, I know the depths of it. I know how it's made you feel. I, I know how your heart hurt in the middle of that. I know what it's caused you to do. I know that it's caused you to live in this fear and this insecurity and this lack of self-worth. I know that you've lived in that, but I'm calling you to healing. I'm calling you out of that. Now, you, you, let me ask you, does that not sound like the message of the gospel? Let's keep going. It said the gospel requires us to come to terms with our sin. Now, I don't want to belabor this, but if you are a parent in here or you've ever had a parent, <laughs> which I think that takes care of all of us, as a parent, wasn't your heart softened when your children were are genuinely remorseful and repentive of wrongdoing? Yes. As a child, weren't, didn't you receive favor from, if you, you know, had decent parents, let's just say that, if you just had any sort of decent parents, were, if you were truly, sincerely sorry for something that you did wrong, didn't you normally find favor with your mom and dad? Because there's something about repentance from wrongdoing that frees us. And, and this gospel requires us to come to terms with sin and let the, the redemptive power of, of Christ heal us. The gospel requires us to fully realize our immense need for God. We just read that scripture that it says we go from faith sprung onto another to faith, we, that it causes us to trust him more. Let me say it this way. When we sin, when our hearts are away from God, we don't have any trust in him. But repentance calls us to a place by the gospel that brings us back to trusting and relying on him. Let's go to Matthew 24. So we're in Mark. We're going to go to the left a little more. And the end part of Matthew. And y'all should be thankful because I was writing this this morning and I got to the end of it. And I know at a certain point on the page where it is enough for one message and there was about this much more on the page when I was typing. So I, I just highlighted all that and clicked delete. So <laughs> thank the Lord <laughs> that Jonathan did not go crazy. So Mark, uh, Matthew 24, 4. Jesus answered them. Listen to this. Be careful that no one misleads you, deceives you, or leads you into error. Next verse. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive and lead many into error. And the love of the great uh, and, and, and the love of the of the great body of people, let me start over, and the love of the great body of people will grow cold. Because of the multiplied lawlessness and iniquity. Watch this next verse. And this good news, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end and then will come the end. This gospel 
will endure and overcome to the very end everything that is in this fallen world. That Jesus says right here, this is like one of his last statements here on the planet. And, he, and watch what he says. If you see, he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. But what does he say right before it? Hearts of many will grow cold. Oh, what a warning. Many will be led astray. Now, let me, let me ask you this. It, it's not talking about people that are, that are you know, out there following the devil. It's talking about people being misled by people claiming to preach the gospel. It's specifically, Jesus is referring, he said that you'll have false prophets. We don't call Satanists false prophets. We just call them Satanists. <laughs> false prophets are people that claim to be declaring the word of the Lord. Jesus walks through this, that there will be false prophets, that the, the hearts of people will grow cold, that people will walk away from the things of God. But this gospel, I, I, I can imagine he, it was ringing in their ears with the might that he said it, but this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world. The gospel right now is reaching corners of the earth with compassion from the father for his children. That there are stories about people who are experienced. There's no church in their area. There's no missionary in their area. There's no Christian TV in their area. There's nothing in their area. There's no Bibles, nothing. But Jesus is appearing to them in their dreams. Oh, what a savior. That he is so determined to reach their heart that while they're just taking little snooze at night, he's ministering the word of God to them in their dreams. I want you to read these last ones and there's no more fill-ins because I wanted you to focus these last ones. So let's go to Mark. Well, can we do this for the sake of time? Can you just follow along on your sheet? Watch this. Watch this in, in the word of God with what we've been talking about. For whoever wants to save his higher spiritual eternal life will lose the lower natural temporary life, which is lived only on the earth. But whoever gives up his life, which is lived on this earth, for my sake and the sake of the gospel. Listen to what it's, he's saying right here. That if we, try to, if we try to gain our life on our own, this side of heaven, we're going to lose it. But Jesus says, if you lose your life, if you lose what you've been holding on to, if you lose what you've been through, if you lose what you, what you think has happened to you or made you who you are, if you lose that, you'll gain him. When you lay that down, and that's my, my, my just the drum that I want to beat tonight, that if we lead them to Jesus, he knows what to do. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life in the kingdom of God? And that is my concern. That in the effort to gain the approval of people, 
we've changed the truth of the word of God. And right here it says, what does it profit you? If everybody on this planet is saying how wonderful and compassionate and tolerant you are, and you lose your soul or the souls of other people entrusted to you. Mark 16. And Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach and publish openly the gospel, the good news to every creature of the whole human race. He who believes, he just takes over, he takes responsibility. Preach the gospel, I'll, I'll draw them to righteousness. And the one who believes, I'll move on their heart. One who believes, who adheres to and trusts and relies on the gospel, the good news, and him who is sent forth and is baptized will be saved from the penalty of eternal life. But he who does not believe, who does not adhere to and trust in and rely on the gospel and him who sent it will be condemned. And, and I know that we get to that place where we, we, we can't speak harshly to people. We can't, we can't. And, I, and there's some elements of that that are true. We don't need to be screaming at people and tell them they're going to hell and tell them they're going to split hell wide open. But when we minister the word of God in compassion and love, it will do its work. It will have its power. Jesus will draw them close to himself and convict them of the wrong in their life, just like he did us, <laughs> just like he did us. But we have to rely on that full power of the gospel. Let me pray over you. Lord, I just believe right now that there is truth in your word that draws us to repentance in every form, in every way, it draws us to get our hearts right with you and to follow after you, to change our minds. And so, Lord, I thank you that we live the gospel. We live this message that frees people from the bondage of sin and, and Satan. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.